0: This is Coping with Creativity. I'm Jesse Lawson. How many times have you heard someone say that true creativity comes when you're drunk or you're high? Or maybe it's more subtle, like the annual barrage of articles online that tell you that you should be buzzed before doing something creative, that all great artists drink before they do something creative, because getting a buzz can unlock your creativity. Whatever the case may be, there's a culture around alcohol and drugs and their perceived benefits for creative people that warrants a critical eye not just because of how influential and ubiquitous these types of suggestions have become, but because influential publications and people are citing scientific research to back up their clickbait headlines. And, as it turns out, like most articles online, the actual research is being greatly misunderstood. One very recent example is from a 2017 study published in the Journal of Consciousness and Cognition. In it, researchers used a remote association test to see if having a blood alcohol level of 0.03 or greater would have a statistically significant effect on creative thinking. This study, and ones like it, are often cited as being proof that getting a buzz will help us be more creative... But what the study actually found was only a reinforcement of previous findings from many studies before. They found that anything that mitigates fixation improves our creative thinking. Fixation is a concept that refers to our ability to focus on what we want to pay attention to and ignore the things that we want to ignore. Fixation mitigation is the act of consciously and subconsciously pointing out our attention toward and away from things based on our motivations and goals. If we think about task-oriented behavior, for example, we might consider fixation mitigation as our internal act of focusing on what we're trying to accomplish despite background noise or distractions that might deter us from reaching our objective. You might be consciously wanting to pay attention to my words, for example, but subconsciously your mind is seeking out forms of distractions that it has grown accustomed to, like your phone, or your TV, or that good-looking person across the way. When it comes to art, though, mitigating our fixation can have deleterious effects if we don't give ourselves permission to focus when we need to focus and permission to fixate when we need to fixate. Writing is one form of art that illustrates this very well. You have to be in the moment when you're writing a sentence. Each sentence, as you construct your story, fits together in a paragraph, which themselves form webs of greater and greater narrative structures. Writing by the seat of our pants, which is when you write your story without a goal or end state in mind per se, can only get you so far. Eventually, you need to stop and think about the big picture so that your story feels like a story. Everything has to make sense. What is my character doing? Where are they trying to go? And why? Who wants to stop them? And why? Ultimately, what is the story about? What do I want the reader to feel when I'm done? Now, some people are better at handling these kinds of big-picture abstractions in the back of their minds, but however it's accomplished, it's still accomplished, even if we don't realize that we're doing it. In fact, the ability to see your story as a whole, to look at the path you've laid out in front of you and all the possible dimensions of reality where choices you could have made right now could affect the outcome of the story, is truly what separates a writer from someone who just wants to say they are a writer. And this is where mind-altering substances come in. Imagine you're someone who desperately wants to do a thing, And you see others doing that thing. And you are constantly told that what you need to do is just expand your mind so that you can start thinking like people who can already do that thing. Now, mind you, you'll notice I didn't mention the one thing that needs to happen that no one wants to talk about, which is practice. No one wants to talk about practice because it's boring. No one wants to talk about practice because anyone can just practice. People want the magic pill. They want the elixir that will allow them to skip ahead and cheat. They don't want to put in their thousand hours. They want the fruits of a thousand hours of practice right now. And do you know what teaches us to seek out ways to cheat at practicing art? Studies, articles, stories, anecdotes about how drugs and alcohol surge your creativity. But the fact of the matter is that reality is just not that exciting. These studies are misquoted and incorrectly used to suggest that creativity is just a drink or a joint away, are only showing that spontaneous processes in creative thought are more able to come out when we are less inhibited by the anxieties that tend to get blurry when we use mind-altering substances. One study that helps explain this put the lens over cannabis. Here, researchers used self-reported measures of cannabis consumption, openness to experience, and the appearance of enhanced creativity to determine whether self-reported creativity was higher among users versus non-users. What they found was that increased reports of openness to experience were correlated to cannabis use and subsequently self-reported creativity, suggesting that it's not the drug that gives us the creativity but the mood that the drug gives us permission to succumb to that does. That mood is kind of hard to define. Some might call it bliss or peace. Others call it a sense of satisfaction or clear-headedness. I would describe it as my anxiety that has melted away. What is clear, despite all the different interpretations of it, is what the mood is not. It's not anxiety. It's not worry. It's not dread. It's not suspicion. It's not overthinking. Once you're in a state where your anxieties melt away from around you, your senses no longer control where your attention focuses. Your mind does. Your subconsciousness does. So when people start talking about drugs unlocking your creative mind, it's not the drugs and it's not the drugs effects. It's the state of susceptibility that the drugs help us achieve. Now it's important to frame it this way because even if you are a drug user, it's the state of omitted anxiety that is important to strive for and not the high in and of itself or the buzz in and of itself which means we should be trying as best as we can to remove the anxieties from our lives that prevent us from achieving creative flow. Drugs are not the way to get us there. Drugs are never the way to get us there. They only increase our susceptibility to our own efforts to drive ourselves to that destination through self-reflection and hard, honest, personal growth. In this way, we can frame drugs and alcohol as what they actually are. They're tools and useless ones if we don't have a properly trained mental toolbox. This leads us to a sort of philosophical point that it's not going to sit well with some people, but nonetheless, something I feel is true. Some people are just naturally creative, and other people are not. I'll caveat this with the statement that everyone has the capacity for creativity. After all, we're the same species in the same sacks of meat, but true creative flow and not just artistic mimicry, is something that not everyone can or wants to achieve. It takes time and effort and practice and practice and boring, boring, repetitive practice, and a lifetime of commitment to unlocking the creative parts of your mind to be a creative person. It's not a light switch. It is a lifetime of boring, repetitive work. It's hard work, It's exhausting work. It's sometimes, let's face it, it's oftentimes thankless and lonely work. And it has to be done all the time. So the urge to believe that drugs unlock this thing inside us that takes a lifetime of work to reveal absolutely makes sense. Some people do not want to work their whole lives being creative. Other people, like you and me, we have no choice. It's an internal, existential calling. Whether we're good or bad at it, we have to do it. We have to create. And so this leads people who are not naturally drawn to creativity wondering if there is some secret formula. There's not. Or magic way to unlock their own creativity. There's not. So they look at stories about drugs and alcohol being these cheat codes for our minds. People are drawn to articles that pretend to base these statements in science because it helps them cope with the fact that they would rather not do the work to be creative. Nobody wants to. People like you and me, though, we just do it. Put another way, those people don't want to write a book. They want to have written a book. They don't want to spend years training for and running a marathon. They want to say they have ran a marathon. They don't want to make art, They want to be able to say that they have made art. For non-creatives, it's about the destination. But you know as well as I do that creativity is about the journey. And the destination represents closure, not a beginning. On the other side, people who actually are naturally creative, who use drugs, are now experiencing new ways to frame their sensory inputs. That openness to experience that I talked about earlier. But it's only unlocking something as much as it is temporarily giving us a stepping stone to look over the mental fences that we build around ourselves. If you're having trouble with coming up with an idea for a story because you want to write a book, getting buzzed or high isn't going to magically make you a good writer or a good storyteller or a good plotter. And it's not going to magically give you a compelling story. Writing and failing over and over again and then failing some more is the only way your storytelling is going to improve. The same goes for any other type of art. I remember when when I was learning figure drawing and a friend of mine who works as a comic book inker said to me, you'll never get better if you keep comparing your work to mine. I've been working as a comic book inker for 15 years. You've been working at it for 15 days. I remember he said, You should only be comparing your work to what you drew yesterday. The difference between you yesterday and today is the only thing that matters. So why are these articles posted every year about drugs and alcohol unlocking our minds all wrong? Why can't drugs unlock our creativity and bring people who are otherwise uncreative into the fold of those who are? Well, a recent study, in January of 2018, had researchers at Harvard asking this very same question. They used fMRI scans and revealed that there might be neurological differences between people who are and are not creative. They found that in creative people, there was a network of functions that didn't exist in people who were not creative. To quote the story... This high creative network exhibits dense, functional connections between core nodes of the default, executive, and salient systems — networks that typically work in opposition, suggesting that creative brains are marked by a tendency to simultaneously engage these large-scale circuits to a greater degree than the less creative brain. Put another way, creative people have trained themselves to access parts of their brains in different ways than non-creative people. And they do that through constant, repetitive work and practice and failing and practice and failing. That means drugs aren't a key to these doors inside our minds, but rather they're more like helmets we can put on to alter the way our senses interact with what's behind those mental doors. But if we haven't done the work necessary to unlock those doors, drugs aren't going to do it for us. Instead, we'll be those stereotypical drug users who think they have this transcendental view of the world, but are really just translating mediocre platitudes disguised as self-expression into whatever form of art they'll never take the time to master. So while recreational drugs can suppress the effects of anything that would cause our attention to be too focused on our immediate senses, creative people who have been able to dabble and then fondly reflect back on a time when they tried drugs risk sharing an illusion of enlightenment to people who suffer from addictive personalities. People who can just do one hit of something and then never feel the urge to do it again are a very, very, very rare exception. Think about it. You're usually hearing famous artists talking about a time when they tried drugs or even were using drugs heavily for a period. But the only reason we're hearing their story now is because, one they're famous and have a platform to tell their story, and two, they stopped. They made it through. When it comes to creative thinking, if you're not going to put in the work to use the tools like mind-altering substances appropriately, and by appropriately, I mean as a means to augment your existing creative energy, then call it like it is and just admit to yourself that you're using the notion of artistry to get drunk and high. I'm sure you can think of people right now who are doing that. In cases like this, the only person that they're fooling is themselves. And if you're doing it, the only person you're fooling is yourself. If you want to benefit from things that alter consciousness, you have to put in the work yourself. You have to create a foundation for self-reflection and confidence before you can use tools that enhance your openness to new experiences. Otherwise, you won't have the capacity or wherewithal to appreciate them and translate them into productive methods of self-expression. Hey, that wraps up this first part of the episode. In a minute, I'm going to answer a listener question that I really liked. But first, I wanted to say thank you, because I appreciate your patience with me taking so much time getting this episode out. This podcast started out posting episodes weekly, But I knew I couldn't keep that rhythm up. It is so much work. I have my own problems I'm dealing with, and ultimately, this podcast is really a way for me to help others by trying to help myself. On top of that, I knew once I decided to tackle drugs and alcohol, and how they're used and abused by creators, that it would strike a personal chord with me, which would cause this episode to take a little bit longer than others. I had to write some, take a break, write some more, take a break, record some, take a break. It's tough. The content made it tough. The topic made it tough for me. I guess I wasn't ready for how hard it was going to strike that chord. I've known many people who struggle with creativity and alcohol and drugs, and too many who have suffered physically and mentally, some to the point of taking their own lives because of it. The discord that occurs when we try to solve something with alcohol and drugs instead of experience something is a very powerful and harmful one. Drugs and alcohol are tools, and any tool can hurt you. I hope this episode helps to emphasize that to anyone who's looking to experiment with mind-altering substances as a means of creative inspiration. Remember that they're tools. So the last part of this episode, uh, I'd like to answer a listener question. If you're a creator and you have something on your mind, let me know. You can email me directly at Jesse at lawsonry.com. That's L-A-W-S-O-N-R-Y.com. Or you can head to copingwithcreativity.com, this podcast's website, and click on the contact me button. One day I'm going to do an episode of Just Listener Questions. So the more the merrier. Until then, here's one from David in Georgia. He writes... In your episode about managing distractions, you basically said project hopping and managing creative flow were two opposite things. I was wondering what your take is when someone is working on several art projects at the same time. I, like you, write stories, draw, and am an amateur game developer, and I find myself jumping from these different fields all the time, sometimes multiple times in one hour. Oh boy. Is this really a bad thing? I feel like I'm being creative. Is it bad if I'm working on three things at once instead of just one? Uh, Thank you for that question, David. In my experience, working on several projects at the same time is the only way I can stay sane. And I am not an authority on this whatsoever. But I think it's nice that people who are creative will open up their creative processes and and, and mindsets like I'm doing right now. Because I think it helps people like you and, you know, people like me sort of feel okay with, with our creative craziness. Many people I know have one or two things always brewing in the back of their mind, and it's something they can subconsciously work on while their conscious mind is occupied by the monotony of their job or daily routines. That being said, attention researchers have showed that we tend to take about 23 minutes to get back to focusing on our original task whenever we're sidetracked. So if we find that we're becoming sidetracked a lot, we might try practicing staying on task a bit, like using something like the Pomodoro Technique. The Pomodoro Technique is when you spend 20 to 25 minutes solely focused on one thing, grinding away at whatever you're trying to do, and then take a five-minute break and think about something completely different, like literally step back, physically remove yourself from your work for five minutes and go do something else, even if it's just staring at a wall. These kinds of things are enormously helpful, but not for the reasons I think are obvious. Hyper-focusing on an activity like with the Pomodoro technique and then taking a break from it isn't actually breaking up our attention at all. Instead, we're spending 25 minutes with a task in the front of our minds and then another five minutes with that task worked on in the back of our minds. Our subconsciousness is a powerful creative partner and we have to learn to trust it. That's why diet and sleep and exercise are all important things Because they help our bodies keep the tracks between our consciousness and subconsciousness clean and open. So, is working on multiple things a bad thing? I don't know. I work on about half a dozen different things every day, this podcast included, making a little bit of traction on each day on everything. Uh, The question shouldn't be, is it a bad thing? It should be, is this something that I like? Is it making me happy? Am I happier only making a little bit of progress towards six goals than I would be making a lot of progress toward one goal? The answer to that question is highly individualistic, and it's going to take a lot of self-reflection and patience before you can discover that for yourself. And finally, that wraps up this episode. Again, I appreciate your patience with how long it took me to get it out, I appreciate you taking the time to listen, and I hope you found it useful. As always, the full transcript of this episode and a couple links to some uh, studies that I mentioned inside are all going to be available online at copingwithcreativity.com, along with links to my Patreon page where you can support this podcast and all of my work. Also I have a new Patreon video, I hope you really like it, it's fun, it was really fun to make. Uh, You can go to Patreon and pledge a dollar or more each episode, and I can give you behind-the-scenes access to the production of this podcast, Coping with Creativity, and all of my fictional work, too, because I am an artist. Blank Page, Evolved, Kane, and any other project I'm working on. Thanks for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye.